Welcome to the Pitched Industries Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? And welcome back to another episode of the Pitched Industries Podcast. My name is Nick White, and this is where I sit down and have conversations with some of today's most influential creatives and ask them about how they've gotten to where they are today, things they've learned and experienced from their journey so far, advice they'd give aspiring creatives and students now, as well as a whole heap of other stuff. Before we get into today's conversation, I just want to let you all know that if you're wanting to find out 13 quick ways you can sell and market your work as a freelance photographer, head to pitchedindustries.com to download a free PDF that you'll find on the homepage of the website that I'm sure will keep you busy over the next few days and maybe even weeks. On this episode, I'm extremely excited to be sharing a conversation I had with the amazingly talented photographer, Zach Noyle. Zach would have to be one of the most well-known surf photographers around today. Over the years, his photography has been published on the front cover and inside just about all good surf magazines, including recently finding its way to the front cover of National Geographic. He's also an ambassador for Aquatech Water Housings, Lacey, Ruka, and so, so many others. On this episode, Zach and I will be talking about how he got into photography, tips and advice he would give photographers about shooting from the water, the transformation he has seen within surf editorials over the last few years, the importance of challenging yourself physically and creatively, how he has got to working so closely with brands like Ruka, the story behind his National Geographic cover, and so, so many other things. I'm sure you guys are going to get a whole heap out of today's episode, so let's get straight into this conversation with Zach Noyle. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Like we normally do with this podcast, I normally start out by asking a few short and sharp questions just to allow the audience to sort of better understand who you are as a person and yeah, just sort of better get to know you. Are you all good with that? Yes, that sounds great. Sweet, man. So where do you currently call home? I'm currently residing in Honolulu, Hawaii. And I was born and raised right here in Hawaii and still reside here, maybe about five or six miles from where I was originally born, still living in Honolulu. And I'm a short 40 minute drive to the North Shore, where I like to say is some of my favorite waves in the entire world and where I feel that I've made my living as well as created my name. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm really excited to hear you talk a little bit more about Pipeline and um, obviously shooting in your home island. It's um, It sounds like an incredible place. Absolutely. Whose work are you admiring the most currently? You know, there are so many amazing photographers out there. And I think with the coming of digital, it has created an even bigger platform along with social media to see just incredible work being changed, done, and really created. And the growth factor to it is is very steep because there's just such a depth pool that you can see now and so much variety. So it's really cool to see. I think there are people like Ben Therod, Brent Bielman, Corey Wilson, Keoki Seguibo. You know, they, they yeah. really push me and they... I see their work and they're some of my best friends. And I think that's what I love the most about this is these are my peers, my, so to say, competition, but we're all best friends in the water, looking out for one another, taking care of each other, making sure everyone's good. I mean, the list goes on of people. It, it's such a tight knit and close community. I really love it in that sense. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I suppose living in Hawaii, you um, you probably get a chance to see them more often than not. Absolutely. You get to see them quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. So what is a favorite quote of yours? A favorite quote of mine, my dad has always told me, my dad is a commercial photographer, Rick Noyle, and he has always told me, shoot loose and edit tight. You know, get get nice. those moments, capture in the moment, and then the finished output and the product that you deliver is the most polished piece that you can do. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. What's a favorite thing that you like doing on your own time, I suppose, maybe away from photography? Away from photography, you know, I, I've been working recently with, in light of everything that's going on in the world, we recently started a nonprofit here in Honolulu, Hawaii, and it was an initiative to create a social as well as civil platform for our generation to really kind of make a change and help our community. So it's been so time consuming, but it's been, I've just been loving every aspect of that, of the community service and really kind of trying to help and shift the paradigm here in Hawaii for the better. Oh, that's cool, man. That's really cool. I, I didn't know that you were um, currently doing that. How long has that been going for? So we've been planning to do something like this for the past seven, eight months. With the virus and everything happened, it definitely accelerated things to putting it out into the community a lot quicker. And it was originally going to be used, you know, and still is for that social and civil platform for our generation so that they have a voice, that they have an understanding and they can, you know, help everyone else in the community. So today, actually, we delivered 100,000 face masks to the west side of the island. And something that we are trying to do to get everyone in Hawaii to wear a face mask. So working alongside the state, we were with the mayor yesterday, and he implemented a mandatory face mask usage for essential workers as well as the public when they're in public spaces. So we've been working with them quite closely. And we're kind of that insurance policy to a degree that anyone that can't afford or doesn't have access to a mask can contact us for a free mask. So it's oh, been awesome. a crazy few weeks and very rewarding in that sense and something that I love being able to help others. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And and I suppose it's sort of, it would be interesting to hear, I feel there's a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast who might be interested to understand what it's like right now with COVID-19 and the coronavirus in Hawaii. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's happening around you and, and what are some big changes that you're seeing right now in your hometown? Absolutely. I, I don't think there's a corner of the world that's not affected by what's happening with the COVID-19 right now. And you know, it's, it's, it's scary, but we will survive this and we have to, this is the best time and the right time that we all need to come together, you know, maybe not physically, but, you know, spiritually and mentally and just supportive of, of one another, because everyone's affected in this, no matter who or what you do, everyone is affected by this in one way or another, or has family or anything. Someone is affected in this way that is close to everyone. And so I think just having that to know that we're all in this together and we can all make it through this together and come out of this stronger. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose on one side of it as well is just really trying to keep busy with like initiatives like you're doing um, with the face masks and and even just trying to keep busy with your own personal work. I mean, there's, this is a good time to really uh, nail down and and focus on parts of your business or parts of your work or parts of your life that you otherwise don't really get a chance to spend much time on. Absolutely. This is, this is that perfect time. This is that time that you can really fine tune things. I am a photographer. I love, you know, imagery and, but I do love to play in video as well. And so I've taken yeah. this time to really like, when I do find the extra time to learn some more things with Premiere, learn a little bit more in video yeah. editing, learn a little bit more in After Effects. And my next goal is to tackle Illustrator, as weird as that sounds. But yeah, I man, that's a big been, task. Yeah, thanks. It's it's something that I'm looking forward to, though. It's something that I want to challenge myself. I've always loved design, and it's something I'm looking forward to really understanding a little bit more in depth. And got got the time. We're home, and this is the perfect time to kind of tighten and hone skills, as you were saying, and improve yourself. This is the perfect time for all of those things, from watching tutorials to reading great books to really just seeing what's important in life. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm sure uh, YouTube's getting an absolute workout right now from everyone doing the same sort of thing. But I do want to move on to the next question now, and that is, what's a favorite book of yours or what's a book that you would recommend to our audience? A favorite book that I have that I've been reading is Manage Your Day to Day, Build Your Routine, okay. Find Your Focus and Sharpen Your Creative Mind. And I really love those things. I love being productive. I love the creation factor of it. I feel, you know, dealing in business and kind of having that edge and kind of just always be evolving has really helped me to be where I am in my career, where I want to be and where I'm I'm planning to head. And it's always that looking ahead, but enjoying the moment that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So can you just read the title out one more time? Yes. The title of the book is Managing Your Day to Day build your routine, find your focus and sharpen your creative mind. Awesome. Yeah, that is on the list. It sounds awesome. And and yeah, daily routines and uh, morning routines in particular is something that, holy shit, man, I need to spend a lot more time on it. It's, it's hard to get up and going in the morning sometimes. Oh, and, and, and it's so hard with like, with the coming of like digital, you know, it's, or should I rephrase that as it's so hard with the digital age right now. It's here. Yeah. And to really unplug yourself and kind of, disconnect in that way. I'm constantly at the computer working and doing work. So I've eliminated a few things through the book of like just kind of tips and ideas. And I feel a lot better about things. I currently don't keep my phone in my bedroom. So I got a alarm clock um, so that I'm not looking at my phone before I go to sleep. It's not the first thing I grab in the morning. It's something that I go to after. And then I also remove social media from my phone. I know that may seem like just have the self-control. But I found myself just autopiloting to it sometimes, you know, in moments. And where it was like, I I don't want to do that. I have so many other things that I should be doing right now of emails or work or just in real life. And so I found that putting my social media on my older phone, leaving it at home, it doesn't have any service. So it's got to be held at home to be able to be used. It, It gave me that little buffer to kind of give myself a break from it where I could use it in the morning or when I come home from work. And it was a nice disconnect for me. It wasn't me reaching for it while either, you know, 
don't be doing it while you're driving, but not driving or, you know, just mm-hmm. in any between moment when you should be doing other things or being present. I found myself that I wasn't utilizing that in that way. So I'm, I'm really liking that. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things we always like to think we've got the self-control to just not pick it up or not look at it, but fuck, it's hard. It is very hard. You don't realize. And then you're like, wait, I'm on it again. So it was like, I the damn self-control, but you know what? I'm just going to eliminate it and I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. It's a well, look, uh- That's the thing. It, 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 it is a necessity, especially in this day and age for the digital age. For a photographer or a cinematographer, it is a necessity. I've I found so many jobs through it. So it's an evil yeah. necessity in that degree, but it's something I don't want all time consuming all day, every day. There are many days I go by and I'm like, I forgot to post or do something and that's okay. I don't want to be tied to it where it's like, I got to post it this time. I got it, you know, and you get yeah. into that whole thing. I got to sit there for an hour and get and engage. It's like, no, I got to be in real life, but it is a necessity and a tool for the modern day digital photographer or creative. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit further on in the conversation because, yeah, it does play a huge role in uh, promoting your work, uh, selling your work and, and everything else today. But but I will, I will carry on with the last of these short and sharp questions. And that is, if you could sit down and drink a beer and have a conversation with anyone in the entire world, past or present, who would that person be for you? That's an amazing question. That's a deep one. Um, you know, I, I look around at my desk and I'd like to say Steve Jobs because 80, 90% of the tech sitting on my desk right now is attributed to him in one sh- way, shape or form. And yeah. so I feel like that would be such an incredible one. The, you know, future sense that he had and building these things. It's like, what an incredible mind to have come up with these types of technologies and moving it in the way that he did. But it wasn't just the tech, you know, he didn't per se like invent the actual hardware tech as much as like the innovation and the creative process of how he made them be wanted items. And I feel Mm -hmm. to me that's such an incredible part of it because it goes hand in hand, but he made it cool. He made it sleek. He made it desirable. And just the marketing that they did behind it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. No, he'd definitely be a very interesting person to to talk any sort of business with because I suppose he would have a massive team working for him, but even to manage a team that of that size and and quantity would just be incredible. Absolutely. Now we've gone through those short and sharp questions, I suppose it sort of makes sense for us to start talking about your journey from the beginning. So can you tell us all where your photography journey started for you and maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So my photography journey started many years ago. My father is a commercial photographer here in Honolulu, Hawaii, and he shoots hotels, food, and fashion. So something that to me, shooting in a studio was not always something that I wanted to do. Growing up, his studio was below our house. And so I would go down and check it out, maybe if he had some food or some models, but otherwise I wasn't interested in the photography. He never forced me into it, but when I was ready and willing and wanting to do it, he was there to support and help me no matter what it was that I was actually doing. So it didn't matter that it was photography. It was that I was passionate about it. And I feel that I found photography because of a love for the ocean. I wanted to show that. I wanted to share that. It was a way that I could kind of convey my feelings of being there and 
that's where I discovered it. And that's where mm. what drives me to this day is being able to share those moments that many people in this world will never be able to experience themselves um, and put myself in situations that are just absolutely terrifying that mm. I can show to the world and I can make it look peaceful. I can make the water look very inviting and put people there from around the world through my imagery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, some of your images of pipeline and, and waves really all around the world, it really are incredible at really giving people insight and a vision which they would probably never see in their entire lives. So yeah, it's, it's definitely incredible seeing some of your images. But I want to sort of get a timeline established. So when did you first really pick up a camera and where did you go in your first few years? Did you study photography at all or what was the, the timeline? Absolutely. So I first picked up a camera when I was probably 16 years old and my dad had just switched over to digital. So when I did this, I was in photo 101 in high school and at photo 101, I actually failed the class and I still have never been invited back to speak at the class. I think that's part of the reason they're like, you know, this guy didn't make it through the class, but he's okay and doing well now. So I don't think, I think that goes against what they wanted to kind of implement in the school. <laughs> but seeing that, I picked it up around 16, 17, and I would go and take all my dad's film from the fridge. So he wasn't using his film anymore. He had switched to digital very early. I want to say he even had like a one or two megapixel camera, and then he had a scan back. And I would take his film and then I'd go drop it off at the lab that he went to and put it under his bill. It was the greatest thing. I had free film and free processing as much as I wanted until he caught on, of course. (laughs) So it was a great thing. And then he's like, you know what? I think now it's time for digital. But I'm glad I had the basis in film and learning with exposure and processing and all of those things as my base to start. And then I was able to transition into the digital. And I think the Canon 20D was my first digital camera. I had a four gig memory card and (laughs) I was on my way. Yeah, that was huge for the time. I mean, I want to say they were charging like a hundred bucks a gig then after that. And it started growing up. Now I have a 512 gigabyte Lexar memory card. That is (laughs) fast. And I load two cards in my camera. And I could stay out for days. I think my battery will die sooner on myself than the camera. And it's just insane technology now. It's like never ending. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's amazing, and I suppose you definitely want a uh, want a card that big when you you know are shooting pipeline and it's cooking for um you know sunrise to sunset. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are multiple days when it's eight hour sessions, as we know with any wave, it changes all day or it can be here and be gone tomorrow no waves a month so a lot of times when i see it's good the only thing that's sending me in is if the conditions get bad if the conditions are good why even go in so Mm. it's something that with technology and these cards i can stay out and i can get through those moments which is incredible yeah, yeah. I'm really interested to hear from you about what it was like growing up in Hawaii, you know, being surrounded by such a huge surf and photography scene. How do you think that's influenced the way you go about taking photos now? And has that been a help or a hindrance to you, do you feel? 
you know, growing up, which I like to think is kind of like the, to a degree, like a surf capital, everyone ascends on the North Shore every single winter. The entire surf industry descends upon it. And to me, it was something that was always there. I remember going with my dad, maybe I was 13 or 14 to one of the Eddies, getting to meet Kelly Slater. So it's always been around. And I don't come from the atypical surf photographer background. I mean, I think I was just on the beginning of that where a lot of them were ex-bodyboarders. A lot of them came from the bodyboard industry and I came completely different. I think I was, I want to say one of the earlier ones that kind of did that until like the digital age. Now it's a free for all, you know, and Mm. it's something the guys of Scott Eichner, Jeff Flint, Todd Glazer, all incredible humans and watermen, um, as well as bodyboarding. And Mm. to me, it was a different world. I came from a swimming and water polo background where I know Don King, who's an absolute legend, also had the similar background. And I did swimming and water polo all growing up. And I feel that's where it made me comfortable. I didn't grow up in these massive waves. I had to learn these massive waves when I was 19, 20 years old. And I had to yeah. come out to these waves. So it wasn't something I grew up with like a lot of guys on the North Shore. It was something that I acquired and, and pushed myself to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's something which I'm really interested in hearing because, I mean, some of the situations you're able to put yourself in today, you know, at Pipeline or anywhere else in the world for that matter, they really are incredible. And you really do need to be very comfortable within the water to be able to do what you do. And there's going to be a number of photographers who are listening to this podcast who are probably pretty hesitant at times, like when the waves are really, really good or, you know, real solid and they're just unsure about swimming out and really you know, pushing that limit, I suppose. Can you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with that feeling maybe in your earlier days and even now? How do you really overcome mental struggles that you might feel when looking at eight to 10 foot pipe? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what keeps me going back. You know, you always get those butterflies. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't, right? If you didn't Mm. have those nerves and get that feeling and get that adrenaline rush, really. And It's something that's built over time. I tell a lot of photographers when they ask me they want to swim to pipe or anywhere at that, it's like, swim out when it's smaller and body surf. Don't worry about your camera. You take out your camera, you're adding another factor. Make sure that you know how you can can get out, out of the water. You know what I mean? You want to make sure that you're safe to get out of the water. So I think there's a lot of factors in that way, but it's like, swim out there. Go out to pipe at three feet. Build yourself up from there. Know how you're going to get in. And if you do all those type of things, that's how you can feel more comfortable in larger waves. Are these practices that you still do today yourself? Do you still paddle out, you know, when it's onshore maybe just to really keep that confidence up? Absolutely. It's it's something that I still body surf all the time. and, And I love to challenge myself to the point where I'm able to go and body surf without fins when it's a little, you know, four or five foot. Mm. And it's something I love being in the water. I love body surfing when it's on shore. If it's a little smaller, got to get in the water. It's kind of like a recharge point for me. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you found yourself in any situations that you haven't really wanted to be in recently in the water? Or have you learned to understand your limits and really know the times when you should push it and when you maybe shouldn't? Absolutely. I think that comes with experience. I think there's different scenarios that change that you need to be able to adapt. It's something that comes with training. It comes with staying calm. When I see a large wave coming, you can freak out, you can try to scramble, or you can realize exactly where you are and where you can actually get to. So if I see a large wave coming, I look around, I realize there's no way I'm getting out of like the danger zone. Why am I going to waste the energy to swim away? So it may seem mm. weird and guys will start panicking and swimming out, but look at the extra energy expelled. Now, instead of s- scrambling, if you sit there and you start to breathe and you catch your breath and you calm yourself, you're going to be able to handle it a lot better. You're still going to get pounded, but you're going to have a full breath in your body rather than overexerting yourself for like the same pounding you're going to get. If there's yeah. a chance you're going to get through the wave, absolutely go for it. I'm not saying to get pounded. You know what I mean? Like if you can, mm. get, but swimming in or swimming out and really going to get pounded, it, it's, it's like conserve. And, and I guess that comes with experience and knowing, you know what, you're going to outrun this thing. Relax, <laughs> stay right here and take the pounding or, you know, go this way or that way. But a lot of times at pipeline, I'll see, you know, everyone kind of sprinting out towards like the channel. And if you can look underwater and you see that it's so deep, you know that you're going to be okay because it's deep enough. If you look under and it's five or six feet deep under you, the reef's right there, you better get the hell out of that area. So, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, there's those different things which come with experience that it's like, why? That's going to be a rolling white water. It's going to pound you just as much 20 feet to the right as if it was right here. You're okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. it comes with experience. And there are times that we get put in these situations that definitely test us whether it be the current or anything like that. And the key is to stay calm. We can't yeah. fight mother nature. You need to look how that current's going. One of the biggest tips I always do is make sure you know how you're going to get out of the water. Don't jump off the rocks being like, damn, that was easy to get out. How are you going to get out of the water? Always know yeah. that. That is my first thing I do when I get to show up to the break. I'm analyzing that and saying, okay, easy to get in. How the hell am I coming back out? Oh, I got to go through that keyhole where it's slamming. Okay. Or can I swim around an extra 150 yards around the corner to get, okay. You know what I mean? Because you want to know those things because you're going to be very tired at the end of your session. So now if you've already worked through that and you figure out exactly how and what you're going to do, you're not trying to worry about that at the end. It's not on your mind. You already have that worked through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like having that game plan before jumping into anything is probably a very good idea. But um, another question which I wanted to ask, which I suppose I could make it relate with either your water training and also your photography training. Who were you really able to to turn for advice when it came to um, becoming a better swimmer or navigating currents or even, you know, submitting photos to magazines when you might not have really known how to do that in the early days? Who were some people who gave you some influential advice and what was that advice? You know, I think early on in my career, my da- I was very lucky that I had my dad to guide me on a lot of things. Uh, this is pre-social media, okay? So this isn't a time when I'm like banking on that. Now it's a very different world and game. Um, I feel that 
I was very lucky when I came in and what I was able to do and make the proper connections with a guy like Pete Terras when he was at Transworld. He took me under his wing. He helped me a lot. He would send me skate and snowboard magazines and be like, Zach, look at these portraits. Look at how they compose their lifestyle photos. Look at this. So he was very much a teacher that helped to give me my opportunities, giving me my chances to really learn and grow. There was many photographers, and I, I love that about it, like from a Brian Bielman to Pat Stacy to Scott Eichner, they all mm. helped me. They all were very friendly. I mean, you know, it's, it's not as scary as an intimidating of a world as one may think. And it's something that I was very lucky to, you know, one, you show the respect, you're going to get it back. And that was a big factor, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I heard you sort of speak about in a past interview where you really spoke about, you know, lifting people up and trying to help them with their journey and, and, and tell them things that you know, because it's sort of, there's something special about sharing your knowledge with others. And I think that's something which I like to think is happening a lot more today, maybe when you compare it to photography, say 20 years ago. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a, very different game from what it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. It mm. always changing. I mean, there there's not the same type of magazines. I was so very blessed in my life to work for Transworld Surf Magazine as a senior staff photographer for four years and then went on to work with Surfer Magazine as their Hawaii senior staff photographer for seven, eight years until it was to a point where it was something that you know, magazines aren't the same as they were. They mm. are still well-respected in their names. But I remember telling my dad I had got a senior staff photographer role with Surfer Magazine, and he was just beside himself. He had grown up in South Africa. As kids, he grew up surfing with all his friends. They knew what Surfer Magazine was. So for him to be able to go back and tell his buddies that I was working for Surfer Magazine was such a cool thing for me as well as, you know, to kind of give him that. And it's, it's crazy now. There, there yeah. aren't magazines anymore. I mean, Surfer's Journal is doing an incredible job. White Horses, uh, Monster Children, they are able to do it because they have that quality content. They're not trying yeah. to fill the pages. They are trying to storytell and have something that you want to leave on your coffee table. And I think For that's sure. the difference now. And that's where we're seeing these quality pieces coming out that are being mainstays that it's timeless. They want to, you want to leave that on your, your table. You want to leave that out and read because it's a piece of art. It's not something that comes and goes monthly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, like right now, I'm looking at probably 30 plus copies of the Surface Journal in my office. And it's, it is one of those things like you could look, you could look back at some of their quality issues and, and other magazines as well, for that matter. But yeah, it really shows like an era of surf photography within that time. And, and yeah, it is sort of, especially magazines like the Surface Journal, when you do get published in them, it, it's kind of it carries more weight. Yep, absolutely. So another thing which I wanted to ask you about really is the huge relationships that you formed within the surf photography industry. You know, with Rookup, you're a sponsored athlete or a sponsored mm -hmm. photographer. You're an ambassador for Aquatech Water Housings and a whole heap of other things. Mm -hmm. How have you managed to build those relationships and really reach out to those brands? How has it all worked? 
You know, absolutely. I think that I'm very blessed for these relationships that I have, and I'm very thankful. They didn't come overnight. It was a work in progress. And I feel that aside from being very lucky to be an accomplished photographer, I've also helped to foster the relationship, build a relationship outside of just the visual aspect. So I want to give them more. I want to build more. I want to be a partner with them that's reciprocal, that I can enhance what I bring to them and build it so it's very valuable to them. And Mm. it's something with Ruka, I was so lucky to be brought on early on with Pat Tenori. And he is such a visionary in that way. When he approached me and we talked about it, he's talking about, yeah, I'm going to, you know, sponsor you and you can do this. And I was like, what do I have to do? He's like, you have to wear the clothes. You have to be a good advocate and representative of the brand. And it's like, really? Like a photographer? He's like, well, but he was sponsoring artists. He knew these things. He knew where and what was shaping and how it was going. And one of the most amazing things with Ruka is they've allowed me to create my own signature camera bag. And they go, hey, we're thinking about making a camera bag. wasn't going to be my signature bag. I went, wow, that sounds amazing. This is after I've been with them for a few years. And I looked at it and I was like, okay, like I'd love to help. So I flew up there, took six different camera bags that I loved and showed them every small aspect of why I like this piece, but what doesn't work on it and how I want to improve it. We made a Frankenstein of my creation with the size measurements and everything. It became their number one selling item on their website for that year. Wow. It is in B&H photo. They could not keep it in stock. We've just redesigned it. We've created a duffel bag and we have a whole line of accessories coming out. And it's an incredible opportunity. You know what I mean? One that I never dreamed I could have to be able to create such an item and in such demand and then to be in B&H photo, like that's a dream come true. It's something I've spent more than enough money on that. So to be able to get some money back from them is epic. So, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing where I've been able to take it and work with these brands to be able to work with Canon, Aquatech and developing some of their new products and testing. And it's creating a relationship. I feel being able to create these relationships with the owners or brand managers and different people, they're all humans too. We all want the same thing. We want to create amazing things together and grow the brand. And they know that I have that best interest in mind. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it is really interesting, Ruka, reaching out to you and you really building this relationship with them and creating items like the camera bag, which I actually I actually took your bag to Morocco this year. And I got to say, it's a pretty good bag, man. I was pretty um, pretty happy with it. Good to hear. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. It seems to be something that I seem to be coming across more and more often. I mean, photographers are sort of starting to get sponsored by products and brands that you wouldn't normally associate photographers getting sponsored by in traditional senses. I mean, there's photographers now who are being sponsored by Jeep cars because they're just able to show the content that they can create and showcase through, you know, them driving around in a Jeep and taking on expeditions and that. Do you think this is something that we're going to start to see more moving forward? Absolutely. And I've already seen the shift in that. And it's something that they want the storytelling, but they also want the authenticity 
and people can see through that. So you go and shoot a commercial shoot. There's still the need for commercial shoots, but a lot of times it's like, wait, we could get you to shoot it, post it and be authentically living it. For <laughs> that sure. sounds like a lot better idea than them hiring two models that don't have any backstory to them. Now, yeah. you know, you mentioned Jeep. It's like, okay, so now you're going to have these people that are actually using the Jeep, putting it through the paces and then shoot beautiful photos. Uh, yeah, I think that's a better call. So it's a very interesting, different way of content and storytelling. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it, but it's got to be done in the right way. There will be all types of ways to do it. I'm not saying that my way is perfect. I think Chris Burkhardt has done an incredible job with this. For sure. And it's something that we'll see a lot more of. As I see these different contracts and clients come, a lot of it is changing over to like, and so you'll post this and you'll, you know, so there's a lot of different differentiation in that way, but make it authentic. Absolutely. And yeah, it is definitely going to be something that's going to be very interesting to watch over the next few years as it all really starts to get going, I think. But look, I, I want to sort of bring us back to your commercial work and your time working at, you know, Surfer Magazine as a star photographer and, and really dive deeper into that aspect of your work. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like to work on commercial projects and, and really just inform our listeners about the process of you being given a brief or an idea and you going about doing it. Absolutely. And I think one of the roles that I'm currently moving into as well, and I'm really loving is also the creative and art directing role. And I think that something where a brand will come to me, tell me the idea and allow me that creative input into what they want. You know, they can give me an outline, they can give the direction, but they will let me facilitate and direct that as well as coming up with that from the mood board to just the overall concept. And I'm really loving that aspect of it. And it's something that led me to create a completely new venue, which I already don't have the time to do, but it's something that I'm very passionate about of creating my own creative and branding agency. And it's something that I did this past year with a really good buddy of mine, Kimo Kennedy. And he comes from a music background and he worked for Live Nation for many years. We created this experiential and marketing agency. And it was something that I can't fulfill a lot of the jobs on my own that come to me. I just do not have the time. There are a lot yeah. of the projects I do are several weeks in the planning and shooting and the posts and everything like that. And some of the smaller jobs I'd love to do, but I don't have the time where they don't have the proper budget to fulfill something. But mm. I kept seeing a lot of clients, a lot of agencies coming into Hawaii and using Hawaii in that way where they would bring in their entire crew. Yes, at certain points, their crew or a videographer or photographer makes sense. I, I've assisted photographers from New York because it taught me and that's how I want to learn and that's how I want to grow where they can yeah. do their specialty. But with that said, Hawaii has incredible creatives, as I'm sure around the world. And to me, Hawaii is such a brand that's globally known that people use in all types of marketing aspects. They should be using Hawaii talent to shoot it, to photograph it, to create it, to, to everything. And that's yeah. something that I want to be able to shift that paradigm. I want to 
have those clients coming instead of going to a New York agency. And I want them to say, this is what we want to do. And then I can be able to deliver that with the amazing depth of creatives we have here in Hawaii. And so that's really what I want to do is I want to utilize those creatives and give them that voice and platform to get these international and national jobs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like sort of creating a locational niche, I suppose, you know, like making sure that if something's happening, because I mean, at the end of the day, Hawaiian creatives are going to know better places and and they're going to have so much more insight into the locations that these clients are going to want to use anyway. So it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it goes back to a story that I love is like I shot a campaign. They asked me to shoot or they actually asked me to assist a photographer out in New York and he ended up not knowing how to swim and oh, it was a water wow. thing underwater. And I was almost to the point of drowning him because he was having me hold him underwater and pull him up to the point where I had to take over mid shoot. And wow. what that showed me was, you know, water is a specialty and that's what I want to specialize in. So I'm shooting anything and everything water. I don't want it to just be surfing. I've, expanded it out the past few years, shooting anything from in a swimming pool to scuba diving to everything in between. And it's been amazing because it is a specialty in that form. There are photographers that shoot studio photography amazingly. That is not Mm. my niche. And so I want to make it anything and everything water. That is my niche. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So can you give us some more specific examples of times in the past where you've had to sort of reach out yourself to find commercial work? Because obviously now you've got, you know, you're building an agency and you obviously are choosing the jobs you want to you want to take. But a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are pretty unsure about how they can really start to initially get into the commercial photography industry. So can you give us some insight into that? Absolutely. And you guys with content and social media, this is a great time. Everyone needs content. Every brand needs content. And just because they've shifted advertising budget for print and they're like, oh no, we don't do print anymore. They still need that marketing budget. This is a great time Mm. for you to go down, talk to these local companies that you have in your town, hotels, even restaurants, even that local designer. And you can find these where it's like, okay, This is what I can offer you in terms of content a month. Start at a good Mm. rate, but you can provide that to them in fresh, beautiful content wherever you are, because someone needs to tell that story of where you are and what you're specializing in, in the town that you are in. And I feel that is such a great time that you can do photo and video and provide consistent as well as quality content to them. And that is where it's heading. It's not heading that you're going to try to get in the magazines. The magazines are great. And it's great to expose and to grow, but there are far less now as opposed to the brands that need that social media presence. If you were to look at a hotel's social media now, a lot of them are repurposing some photos and you can tell. They'll use their user guest photos and they're just kind of reposting and doing different things. But if you really look at the ones that are doing it right, they have these beautiful images that are telling a story that are making you want to be there. Find those different ones that you can. Find those ones and work it with them or start on a lower rate. But you can build that up. Show them that consistency. Show them the quality and show them how you can help them and how this is going to shift to make the viewers and their customer want to be there through your work. 
I really like how you spoke about going out to local businesses in your area and showing them your work and showing them what you're able to offer them. Because I think sometimes a lot of photographers and creatives really narrow their focus too much. And, and, and it's something which I've struggled with in the past as well, is really going, okay, I need to focus my work to get into magazines and editorials or books or whatever it is. When really a lot of photographers should start to really just hit up coffee shops even like like mm-hmm. i was recently in a uh, hospital getting a checkup or whatever and on the walls there they had all of these huge prints from a local photographer in perth where i'm from in western australia and obviously like this photographer would have been paid good money and i mean these photos are being seen by everyone that goes into this clinic you know and if not they might just go down to ikea and just get some like run-of-the-mill ikea photo frames or whatever like your work is specific and it is unique and you need to be able to start selling it like that to anyone really absolutely i completely agree and it's it's a wide open world and it's every place is unique and every place has its businesses there are some with more options but every place has their businesses and their options that you can work with and work for and build that up and and help them and that's how yeah. you can build your brand it's okay yeah. if you're like, no, you know what? I don't really want to be working for that shirt company taking photos of the thing, but build your brand in that way. You can keep building it up and that's how you can grow. You can get more clients and you can keep it moving. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you're wanting to start a business with anything, really, you do have to start somewhere. So uh, taking these jobs and yeah, like you said, building up your business with these smaller jobs to eventually get somewhere where you may be making enough money to be stable and you can really choose the jobs that you want to take. But yeah, I did just remember something really interesting and something which I would love to hear you speak about. And that is one of your specific photos, which I believe is called wave of change and this is one of my favorite surf photos of all time i mean it's it's a huge photo that's landed on the front cover of national geographic and a whole heap of other places so can you talk to us a little bit about this image and how you got to capturing it absolutely nick i mean i feel that that photo was taken nine years ago it was in indonesia and wave of change to this day, I'm not even exaggerating. I have emails. Now it's about weekly, but before all of the virus and everything kind of happening, it was daily still asking for usage of that image. And every once in a while, who would have that resurgence, like the National Geographic Europe cover. And it's something I never even dreamed of. I've always wanted as a goal, a National Geographic cover, to be able to see that yellow frame around my image. You can't believe it. It's something iconic in my office, you know, and I don't hang my own images. It's something that I can look at as a sense of accomplishment. That's something that's so special to me. And there's always the crazy fun backstories to our images. And I feel like also those are what enhances it. Those are what makes a favorite image of a photographer is not only the visual or the accomplishment of grabbing that image, but it's the backstory to them that sometimes really kind of push it as a favorite image. And so Mm. I missed the flight out of Honolulu because we were waiting till last second. As we decided to pull the trigger, we had to fly to LA. We went LA to Taiwan Taiwan to Indo- to Jakarta, 
And then we drove for 12 hours through the night to the coastline. Then we got on a boat for eight hours. We got there, swells coming up, waking up, getting ready. It was pumping as good as it gets, best waves I've seen. That image that I shot was maybe about 20 minutes before it turned on shore. And the debris came with the swell as well as the onshore wind. So pushing it across the ocean surface. Yeah. It then was on shore for like three days straight. We didn't get another window. We only had two hours of firing waves for all of that travel, which we then had to reverse after. Oh, man. But it was worth it. You know what I mean? Like it's those moments and it was a very sad thing to see so much trash. It's something we wish we could have done more, but it was just, it's crazy. I mean, I wish we could have done more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely one of those uh, iconic images. And I mean, with all genres of photography, you know, I, I feel photographers are trying to capture something that is going to make people question larger ideas about our society or um, an event or anything that's happening. And I think as far as surf imagery goes, that just it incorporates something so much bigger than just a surfer getting tubed and and whatnot. Cause it really, it brings out a way bigger idea and issue that we're going to have to face sooner or later, I suppose. Absolutely. I mean, to be able to create an image like that and have it protect and help something that I love so dearly, the ocean is a dream come true. It's something, you know, it's, that's a very, that's one of my most special images, not only with the backstory, but the change that it can bring to help the ocean that we love. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's um, definitely a very, very special image. So well done with that. But I definitely have sidetracked our conversation a little bit now. So I do want to bring it back to the list. And I do want to ask you a question regarding your creative process. So can you talk to us a little bit about everything that you do behind the scenes to shoot what you shoot? Yeah, absolutely. I think a little bit of the creative process is finding those inspirations, finding those moments seeing, taking from other images or moments you've seen, but seeing how recreating it in a different way from the light to the moment to the situation. I mean, I'm looking at images all over the internet where you're looking at types of light to how it's hitting a person to the time of day, to the angle, to anything like that, and then modifying it and taking that image in the way that you see it. I think, I think that a lot of times my images and some of my, I feel more iconic images that I've taken are ideas in my head ahead of time. And it's like, that would be crazy if I could get that. That would be insane. If I could get in that angle, that would be nuts. If I could get below that surfer in that way to get a angle out the barrel or something. And it's Mm. these ideas and thoughts that challenge me and push me to then create them. Does that yeah. make sense? <laughs> Sorry, I kind yeah, of... Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely makes sense. And I mean, another part of this question, I suppose, is really the process you have after you capture these images and really get these ideas out. What's the post-production process that you usually take with your photos? Do you normally get straight onto editing them straight away or do you allow yourself a few days to sort of give yourself a break between obviously the day you were shooting and the day you look at the images? Everyone wants everything yesterday. So it's not really like usually with clients. I mean, many a times working, um, I'm very fortunate to be able to like hire an assistant 
so that I can have them do some of like the posts. And that's just mainly pulling the selects rather than the actual editing. But a lot mm -hmm. of clients want things instantaneous the next day. If I'm on a five day shoot, they want to see and make sure they got everything for the catalog or what we're shooting, you know, that next day to make sure that we can move on to the next part. So yeah. sometimes you don't have that leisure. I remember shooting the 2016 Eddie Aikau and it was my second time ever shooting the Eddie. And this one, I sat in the water for eight hours straight, seeing the craziest surf, watching the most memorable waves ever. And sure. it was the craziest adrenaline. I felt nauseous several times as those big waves approached and I had to dive under because it was just nauseating. You know what I mean? That was terrifying. And the jet skis would leave. And I remember coming in and I was very lucky. I had my photo agent, Jeff Hall with A-Frame Media. And he was there helping me from the shoreline because we were actually sending photos from the camera to my phone, sending it to Jeff. And he was able to post them live to Quicksilver social media at the time. Wow! And it was the first time anyone had ever done something of this sort. And we wanted to get it instantaneous. Even if it was within minutes, we were giving DSLR quality camera from the Canon camera to my phone, to the social media within minutes. So guys are watching yeah. it in any lull. You know, people are going on their, their phone. I know how that goes. You know, oh, it's a break in the waves and they're trolling through their social media. And so it was the perfect time to get those up and show these amazing quality images. I couldn't look at my images for five days after that. It was so intense and so mentally and physically draining i was lucky i had jeff i handed him the card and the camera ate so much food drank so much water and then went to sleep and i couldn't even look at it the next day you know he's like zach you got some great photos i'm like really he's like i'm like i could not even like emotionally look at them yet and so that yeah. was kind of one of the only times that was just that intense where it was like, what? Like I couldn't even absorb it or realize that like what had happened from being in the water for eight hours straight, it um, was something else. Yeah, man, that is a long time to be spending in the water. And I definitely have uh, some sort of idea about how fucking hungry you would have been at the end of that session. But look, I do want to move forward a little bit now. And I want to ask you my favorite question of the whole bunch. And that is regarding mental headspaces or dark times, I suppose, which you might have had during your journey to getting to where you are today. Have you experienced anything like this? And if so how have you gone about dealing with them? Absolutely. I, th I think there's a time with any or every photographer that you may feel like a slight burnout to a degree. You know, we love this. We're, we're doing this. We love being in the water. But I feel like sometimes you're like, this looks like the ones I just shot and you're, you're enjoying the moment. But there's a certain degree where you need to challenge yourself and you need to step out of your comfort zone and you need to try to shake things up a little bit to find that creativity again. And it's like, if you're continually shooting with the same lens, same place, you can love it. That is your place. That is your moment on everything like that. To me, I needed to always be challenging myself. All right, I'm going to shoot a 7200 in six foot shore break because I want to try to get this look. You know what I mean? It's, it's like yeah. those were moments that I was like, but why? Who does that? Why? But doing that was my challenge. Okay, well, I'm going to shoot at F1.6. And my dad's like, why? And I'm like, <laughs> well, this is the shot that I have in mind. And I go do it and bring it back. He's like, I don't know why, but this looks incredible. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, 
How? Yeah. Why? Like, so you want to go swim up in the water and you want to try to focus this in 10 foot pipe? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Am I going to miss some? Hell yeah, I'm going to miss some. But is it going to be rewarding? Yeah. Is it challenging? Yeah. yeah. So those are the things that I think that we need to push ourselves, that we need to challenge ourselves always because with the challenges is where we find the growth, where we find the defeat is where we find the growth. And these are things that only will elevate us. So you don't get the results that you want. That's where you learn and that's where you grow from it. And you know, okay, do not put your focus in that way. Okay, do not angle your camera in that way. But these are the things that you learn. Oh, that would have been the best shot ever. Okay, well, go and try again now that you learned that. Feel experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And I was recently reading a photography book and listening to a photographer talk about how it's usually the photos that you fuck up, which you really learn the most about. I mean, like if you're going to try and shoot at F1.6 with at 70 mil and a shore break, the chances are you're probably not going to get anything, but you might find something which might open up another whole creative door that you might not have seen. And I think, yeah, like the advice you just gave there is is incredible because that is often one of the best things you can do to break through a creative lull. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what are some things that you're experimenting with currently? Are there any things that you're trying to push yourself creatively with now? I got a couple crazy ones involving technology. Not really going to discuss just yet because I want to make sure everything kind of goes through before I like spill the concept and can't follow yeah, up yeah. on it. But we're definitely working on two things that I don't think have ever been done in this capacity um, or way or even using these tech. So they're pretty exciting. And those are the things that I love challenging myself. In the beginning of the year, I said, I'm going to work on these two big projects and that was going to be it. And I'll take a couple jobs here and there. And the entire <laughs> year has completely changed. And now I'm at home, so I can refine and fix them up but there are a few things that can't be done from home. So, you know, it's, it's changing and adapting, I guess, to the current situations that we have. And they'll still come out and actually gives us a little more time to refine and do it. And when you see it, I, I hope that it just really wows people and it's something that, you know, inspires people. Yeah, for sure. No, it sounds really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. But look, before we move on to sort of the end of the podcast, I suppose, and, and ask for advice for our listeners and whatnot, I'm pretty keen to give you time to maybe talk about a favorite story you have from your travels or your experiences in the water. Are there any encounters or surf sessions or accidents that you've witnessed, which has given you a story that you like telling? Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, Went down to Tahiti one time, I mean, many, many a times, and I swam and it was massive toe in size and it looked just black. It was coming out of the horizon, just completely black horizon and terrifying. And I had to swim because I couldn't get a boat. I ended up getting an amazing shot of Matahi Drolet, a cover of Surfer Magazine. And this is yeah, yeah. 20, 25 foot waves. These are just as thick as they come. I go home. And it's two feet at my home break of Sandy Beach. And I end up smashing my housing into my head. And I had to get out and just kind of laugh at the irony of it. I mean, a backwash came, lifted it up, and it came slamming down into my head. So <laughs> the irony of it, of swimming in the most dangerous waves possible, boats going everywhere, 
and swimming up into this thing and being able to shoot the photos come home a week later and I'm swimming at Sandy's and I smash my head open having to get this. <laughs> and it just, the irony, you know, it, it's not the waves, the location or anything like that. It's just always kind of being careful. And it just was, I had to come out and kind of laugh remembering just where I had been and that I, <laughs> you know, things could have been worse, I guess. And just, you know, being thankful. Everyone who hadn't seen you between, you know, you getting back from Tahiti and that session at Sandy Beach probably would have been like, oh man, how did you smash your head in Tahiti? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what happened. <laughs> uh, that's classic. Because, yeah, you do, you swim with a helmet most of the time as well, don't you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Why is that? You know, I think not only from your own camera, but what yeah. about the reef, the other photographers? And then, you know, what's the most terrifying thing I've seen? is when these guys are on seven, eight-foot guns at Pipeline, they sprint to the channel, so now they're in front of you, and they dive off their board. And you have yeah, the yeah. tomahawking coming towards you. That, to me, is the scariest thing. You know what I mean? Because it's like, okay, I can you know hold my head as I kind of go under these things, but if those things have momentum and are coming towards you, it's about as dangerous as it gets. They'll split your head completely open. For sure. It definitely seems like the traffic in the channel and traffic in the lineup at Pipeline is a danger in itself on top of the waves. And how often are there, you know, serious accidents at Pipeline? There's a lot, but it could be a lot worse. And the North Shore lifeguards are some of the best in the world. They now, anything over four to six feet, I believe, they have a jet ski sitting in the channel. The lifeguards are the gnarliest watermen where they are taking their breaks, either surfing these waves, body surfing waves, or just out the response time, but even more so along with complimenting of the lifeguards, the complimentary to the lifeguards is the surfers. Everyone is looking out for each other from the photographers to the surfers. Everyone has an eye out. Did he come up? Oh, he didn't come up. You know what I mean? The response time is so quick if there is an accident. So we're very lucky that we have that network of people looking out for each other and keeping everyone safe, along with the North Shore lifeguards putting their own lives at risk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, the North Shore lifeguards definitely, uh, fuck, that'd have to be easily world leaders of, um, you know, surf lifeguards when it comes to that respect. And if, if you were going to drown, you'd almost want it to be at Pipeline, hey? Oh, man, they, they're so gnarly. There are times where a couple of my buddies that are North Shore lifeguards would be like, hey, we're going to go for a body surf and like, no one's out at Pipe. And it's like eight foot at Ehukai. And they're like, we're going to just go challenge ourselves to swim out. I mean, that's like their training. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll catch you on a smaller day. Like (laughs) They're trying to go out there and push, but also keep themselves sharp. And they're obviously calculated. They're not being reckless cowboys, but they're out Mm. there and honing their skills. And they're out there training in these conditions because when someone drowns, you don't get to pick the time and the place and the situation. You need to be prepared for anything. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, big, big, big respects to the North Shore lifeguards. They're doing a incredible thing for sure. But look, I think we should move forward a little bit now. And before we wrap up, I want to ask some advice from you for some of our aspiring photographers who might be listening to this podcast. So what are three tips or pieces of advice that you would give passionate photographers starting out today? Um, Three tips I would give passionate photographers starting out today is, again, shoot loose, edit tight, because you don't get those moments back. 
So if you're shooting a portrait to lifestyle to anything like that, shoot a lot, a lot. I mean, provided you're using digital, shoot a lot. Go back and find the one that the guy's eyes aren't closed, the one that's perfectly in focus, the one that you've composed correctly. Go back and find that. So I think shooting loose and editing tight is still my favorite piece of advice. I think shoot what you love and it will shine through. If, you know, sometimes we don't always have that luxury. Maybe you got to go shoot this couple photos. Maybe you love shooting couple photos, but you know what I mean? But still Mm. shine it through and shoot what you love and find a way to incorporate the two. So if you love the water and you have to shoot the couple, take them to the water, you know? So find these two so that your work really kind of like shines through and of what you love because it will show. And I think respect is a massive one. I Mm. love my peers. I want to see and uplift them. I've given countless jobs to my peers and vice versa. And it's something that we are a tight knit and close community. And I feel that we all need to help and watch over each other. Yes, you can view it as competition. You don't get that job. There's going to be many more. Push yourself then. Get yourself better and sharpen your skills because the right client's going to come along for you. But I feel that family and camaraderie is much more important. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that advice and definitely the idea of, you know, helping people around you and helping to uplift them and their careers is definitely something which is something which I think everyone should be doing. And I mean, I know you shouldn't expect things to come back when you help others, but you'll find that a lot of the time it does come back one way or another. Absolutely. Yeah. So I sort of want to narrow the focus of the advice a little bit further now, as there's going to be a lot of photographers who might be a little bit unsure about how they should be using this time now. What are some things that you think photographers can do right now, whether it's in isolation, whether it's, you know, social distancing or whatever it be, what are some things that they can focus on, whether that's a website, refining their Instagram pages, um, whatever it is, what do you think is an important thing that they could focus on now? Furthering your skills. I, I say pull out your videos, pull out your photos that you have that you didn't edit or that you edited and try start looking at them differently. Find these different ways to hone and, and, and sharpen your skills in this time. This is the time when you should be improving. You should be coming out of this time of staying at home and being sharper than ever. This is when we can be. This doesn't mean sit at home, watch TV, enjoy, relax, but try to sharpen those skills. There are so many videos on YouTube. There are so many amazing podcasts as this that you can learn and improve yourself. And this is a time when really like read these books, look at these things online and be present in that so that you come out of this sharper and ready to go for anything. Yeah, that's it. And it's definitely something that I've been trying to focus on a lot more myself during this time because fuck, it can get pretty boring. And I mean, you can run out of Netflix videos and series pretty quick, hey? Absolutely. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, look, I think we should probably think about wrapping up now. But before we do, I sort of touched on it earlier, but are there any particular ideas or issues that you're wanting to explore moving forward? And, you know, where do you really see your photography going in the future or moving forward? Where I see my photography moving and going forward, I feel like I've always loved to help others. And I feel 
Canon's allowed me to have an amazing platform of being able to speak from various trade shows, but as well as doing workshops. And I love helping and kind of shaping and allowing others to have their opportunity. So I feel that goes well with not only my agency, but also with just kind of helping for people to find their path, for people to give that, get that opportunity to grow and learn themselves. So, you know, I, I really want to continue on that and just see where it takes me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I'm sure with everything that you're doing currently and all of the organizations and workshops that you're a part of, I'm sure it's going to be something that you're going to be very successful at, I'm sure. But look, I do want to let the audience know now that I'm going to have a whole heap of Zach's work as well as links to everything that we've spoken about on today's show over at pitchedindustries.com and also in the show notes to this episode. But Zach, would you be able to let us know the URL and your Instagram handle just so people can really follow your journey a little bit closely and see more of your work? It's just Zach Noyle, Z-A-K-N-O-Y-L-E. And that's for social media as well as my website. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I'll have those links in the show notes. But Zach, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today about all of this stuff and really provide so much incredible insight into how you do what you do and advice just for people who are getting into photography now. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for your time, Nick. I appreciate it. And um, good luck, everybody. So that's just about it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening like always. And I hope that you were able to take away a few things from our conversation today. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. And just a friendly reminder for those of you who are interested in finding out 13 ways you can go about selling and marketing your work as a freelance photographer, head to pitchedindustries.com now to download the free PDF. You'll find a link taking you there in the show notes as well as over at the Instagram page. Anyway, guys, I hope you have an awesome week and I'm looking forward to catching you next time. Cheers.